Welcome to the Thrive at 20 podcast, where we're celebrating 20 years of Thrive Partnership Group by sitting down with leaders who have helped shape the legacy of the organization. Here's founder Rob Sagan in conversation with one of those leaders today. Good morning, Thrive at 20 podcast listeners. This morning, we're very pleased to be joined by Roger Sharp, an old friend and colleague from the life science industry in Canada, uh, currently the Director of Technical Operations, America's region. So, Roger, I know that's a, a new challenge and responsibility you're really digging into and having fun with. We might start right there and ask you why you decided to take on global responsibility as a Canadian. Well, thanks, Rob. No, it's my pleasure to be here today, too. Um, thank you for inviting me. I've been listening to the podcast so far, and I'm getting a lot out of it. So hopefully I'll be able to, you know, offer a little bit of uh, advice and, and direction to those listeners who are seeking it too. Um, so with respect to uh, my current role at Medison, uh, I have taken on responsibility for technical operations for the Americas, and we skip over the United States. So that basically... Well, they don't really count, you know, the rest of the... Yeah, no, they're... Counts, you know. Yeah, they, they don't really count. You're right. <laughs> uh, but we, we focus on Canada and, and everything south of, of the United States. And uh, technical operations is uh, a term that um, is, is common in, in different geos, but, but somewhat unique, I, th- I would say, in, in, in Canada and LATAM, but it, it basically comprises supply chain, quality assurance, regulatory affairs, and pharmacovigilance. So you think about, you know, the, essentially the, the technical operations associated with, with our industry, and that's, and that's what I'm responsible for. Yeah, now, uh, I, I would have a good chuckle if I was sitting with Roger Sharp from 20 years ago when he first joined the industry at Lilly, right? And said, so where do you see yourself 20 years from now? Would you, did, was this something that was on the radar or did, did it just emerge? Yeah, it's a good question. There was no way I would have foreseen this, Rob. <laughs> I started out my my career in the '90s as uh, as as often people in this industry do as the medical sales representative for Smith Klein Beecham, which no longer exists. It's since yeah. you know, merged with GSK, and uh, from there I went to Lilly. I was a specialty rep at Lilly. Uh, I love to do my MBA, uh, and then Lilly hired me back into supply chain. So I was one of the you know. Well, there was a step in between as a project manager, but I was one of the, the few people who I, I have. I don't think I've come across anyone else in this industry who have made the transition from from sales to to operations, and and kind of that's been the theme ever since. Rob, I've been I've been sort of going one foot into sales or business development, and, and one foot into operations for the better part of my career since since you and I chatted in the early two thousands. I would say. Yeah, the road less traveled would be the way I would describe it. So I want to talk to you about some of those decisions because I think that will be enlightening. So you're in sales. And if I recall, you quite enjoyed being on the road in Ontario and getting a chance to go to all the little communities and the larger areas of your responsibility as well. But you like the outdoors. Um, You you enjoyed the travel. Not, Not everybody does. Um, so what was it like? Did you have central Ontario as your territory? What was your field experience like? So my, my field experience was actually, um, it was, a, it was a geographically diverse territory. So it, it's, it, it started in, in, I would say Markham and went all the way to North Bay and then, uh, to Collingwood. And I think on the other side, it was, uh, buttressed against like Uxbridge. 
so, you know, I had basically all of um, Southern Ontario and, and part of the North cottage country as part of my territory, which ranged from, you know, calling on, on physicians at, uh, you know, some of the, you know, I would say more established uh, hospitals in North Toronto to, you know, really, uh, I would say more remote areas in, in, in Ontario, which was super interesting at the time. So I got to see all kinds of uh, different very vari- uh, variations of, of, of uh, how different diseases were being treated, um, you know, some by internal medicine, some by specialists, and and I, I absolutely loved it. So I was super happy to to start my career that way because it gave me a broad exposure to, you know, how medicine can can improve the lives of of, uh, of patients, but. I was always left with the idea that I wanted to progress beyond that and move to a different area in the company and, and, and move my career forward. And often, you know, folks who, who get into this industry think I would say, you know, quite, um, I would say vertically in terms of what their career is going to look like. Well, sure. They, they'll, they'll start in sales, go to, you know, product management, from product management back to sales management, from sales management back to back to marketing again, and then so on and so forth. But and general manager, that was certainly wasn't the the career that that I that that really attracted me. And so I was looking for I would say alternatives. And that was um, that was one of the key decision points that I had mentioning you know Lily back a few minutes ago. They gave me the the opportunity after I, I completed a role as a project manager in systems after my MBA to choose from one of three areas. They said, okay, you've got, you know, we, you're ready for your next role here. You could either go into finance, you could either go into, into uh, market research, or you could go into this thing called materials management. And I thought, okay, I got the first two. What do you mean by materials management? <laughs> and it was, it was absolutely fascinating. I was, I was, uh, I was, I was so happy to be exposed to this part of the the value chain, and it was basically everything from manufacturing to distribution to inventory planning to systems work to coordinating product launches and product deletions. And uh, for for uh, a fellow like me who was, you know, I would say quite technical and and, and maybe even a little bit on the introverted side uh, and and numbers oriented, this was the perfect career for me. And uh, I, I took it and I ran with it. And after Lily, I went to Amgen and, and also, you know, pursued sort of further opportunities there. But after that role, I, I went on the other side of, of the world and I worked for uh, 3PLs in Canada. Who, yeah. You and, know, focus on that. Yes. and I want to unpack that Lily environment seems to me, especially at that time, uh, was quite the hotbed of talent development. Um, many people who you and I get to rub elbows with in the industry had an, a formative period at companies like Lilly or Allergan comes up quite a bit. Some of those um, great leaders that we all recognize and who who really uh, provided you with, with the mentorship and the opportunities at Lilly. Was, was there a leader or two that stands out to you? Actually, there was, uh, and, and she was in, in in HR. Her name was Charlene Friedman, um, so she helped me out quite a bit. And also, when I was there, I was reporting to a fellow by the name of John Basilio, who has since moved on to, I think, Rogers uh, Technologies. But 
you know, the, the number of people that I currently meet and continue to meet, um, in my, uh, in my career that have, that have walked in the hallways of Lily is incredible. And in fact, when I was there, it was, uh, it was, you'll probably recognize his name it was Dave Ricks. who was the, um, the director of marketing while well, Dave Ricks has now become the CEO of Lily. So yeah. you, you can see that the, the Canadian affiliate was, was really an opportunity to, to launch careers. And I've certainly seen that with some of the fellows that am, am and, and women that I have, you know, rubbed elbows with, as you would say, in the hallways of Lily have gone on to do some some fantastic things in the industry. What was the reason for you to move to Amgen? Because at the time, Amgen was really starting to find its legs. It was one of the emerging biotechs, but certainly it was a risk to go from an established pharma company to a biotech play, even one that turned out to be as big as Amgen. But what was your motivation for uh, moving to another company? I would say it was much more entrepreneurial. Um, that was my motivation. There was uh, Lily was established. You know, they they had uh, an operation in Canada for I don't know how many years. I think the, the Canadian operation may have been started in the 30s. You know, this this was a well-oiled machine yeah. and well-established processes and well-established governments governance structure. Um, and what attracted me to, to Amgen was the opportunity to really put my thumbprint on, on a discipline. So, you know, su- supply chain, supply planning at that point was something that had not really been developed as a, as, a, as a standalone discipline. It was sort of one fellow who was managing everything, which became too much. And then they, they, they split it out. So for me, what attracted to me was the opportunity to, um, to really, you know, develop a group develop a discipline and uh, develop a strength of a, of a company that, um, you know, was, was, was in a, in a huge growth phase. So when I was there, um, it was just amazing. You know, the, the opportunity to set up new systems, new processes, launch new products. And it was, um, it was a completely different, uh, I would say orientation than, than what I had experienced previously at Lily. So I, I really liked that challenge. I liked the idea of, of building, and I yeah, think you were that, you were building a, yeah. a a discipline, a function almost from the ground up. Right, was, right. You, yeah, yeah. You were brought into a, a group that was just overwhelmed, and they said, "Here, you you run supply planning." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, some of these some of these early stage companies in in Canada were were like that. I mean, Amgen was certainly past that 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 phase. They were quite you know quite quite large when I joined them, but. There was disciplines that were still were still developing, still still evolving, and you'll see that you know with 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 companies in Canada, and and that just happened to be where I was where I was positioned, and so I I, I absolutely loved it. I I liked that idea of of building. Uh, I would say uh, from from almost a point of protection. You know, it's not like I I was building a company with no revenue. It was it was an established company and I was supported. And I had a great leader when I was there, um, who you know, who really encouraged me and, and helped to develop me. So I, 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 I was very thankful for my experience at, at Amgen. And then, as you say, you pivoted back over to the commercial side on, on the analytics side while you were at Amgen, right? You you had a, I think, I think it was called like a manager of sales and marketing, but it was analytically and business intelligence driven. That's right. So how did more... that emerge? Because it looked like you were on a bit of a roll in the sort of logistics and materials management space and then suddenly again as you said your foot went back on the other side of the road to the commercial side what was the impetus for that 
Well, I think the, the impetus for it was that I had developed a, a skill that um, was useful in, in a couple of different areas of the business. And it's, it's still, I, I still do it to this day. And that was forecasting. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I was, I was, I would say astute at, uh, at Excel on modeling and, and understanding growth drivers for, um, for businesses. And, uh, and also, as I mentioned beforehand, I was, you know, somewhat analytical, I would say in terms of my, my, um, my personality. So I was attracted to that. And there was a need at that point in time in the nephrology group to support, um, support this. So, so I, I came in, um, they had developed a role for me. I think they, they called it Bud Light, if you remember, Rob. So it was That's like right. business, business unit director, unit director light. Light. Yeah, right. right. And, and it was, um, you know, really focused on, on driving excellence in, in analytics for the nephrology business unit and coming up with the, the sales targets, um, helping to manage the P&L, um, and, and really working with the sales team to make the most of, of the data that they had on hand. So I, I, I was, um, I was quite happy with, with that role as well. So, so Amgen was, was good to me. Yeah. And I think that's about the time we met you and I, uh, I'd run into your general manager there as I was doing some work for some of the business units and we had a good conversation about talent development and some of the young stars that he was keeping his eye on and you were one of them on the list and asked me what I could do to help out and we were talking a little bit about professional development as well as personal development and he said well why don't you go spend some time with Roger introduce yourself and I went into your office and said hello and told you why I was there and <laughs> I think you wondered okay, who's this guy wandering in here and why why is he talking to me but um I just really it's one of those conversations I, I think will stay with me for a long time I just asked you tell me a little bit about you your GM has asked me to come talk to you in case there's some things we could do to help support your professional and personal development. And it, we just had a, an immediate connection. You were someone who I really admired that I saw that you were willing to take risks and try different roles as you're explaining your journey to that point. Um, but you seemed to me as I was getting to know you a little bit to be a little different than the mold that was at Amgen. And I couldn't put my finger on it at the time. I think I have a better theory for it now, but I remember walking out of the, back to the parking lot, driving out going, well, there's an interesting young guy, a little different than the rest of the crew that I've got to meet here at Amgen. Um, and I was excited about when you said to me, yeah, we, we should put something together to work together because you wanted to put some energy into not only your career, but make sure you're managing I guess the wheel of life was the way we were talking about it in your office. And uh, it turned out to be quite of a, a fruitful conversation that's now had 20 years of legs to it when I think about it. But what, what, what made it possible for you to be yourself at Amgen? Because a lot of companies spit people like you out that are, you know, creative, yet you were, as you say, a little bit more introverted than extroverted you were curious about things that other people could give a darn about especially on the commercial side they must have thought you were a little squirrely for being a materials guy a analytics guy and yet brought a lot to the table on strategy and sales and marketing so here's young roger in a, an environment where i wouldn't say you were an odd duck i wouldn't go that far but you were different than most of the other leaders i was bumping into so 
did did you enjoy the opportunity there and 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 tell me a little bit about the, the your development in the years that you were there yeah and i would say that you had you know you had quite a um quite a hand in that rob so i was um yeah i was transitioning between operations and and commercial and uh you you helped me through that transition and uh also helped to I would say balance me out a little bit. I, I probably uh, veered a little bit more towards uh, over investing in the in the career part of that wheel of life and under investing in, in other areas. And and we we right size that, which was um, you know I would say one of those profound um, experiences that that stuck with me to this day. Uh, but what you know why I was I was able to. Um, uh, to thrive at, at Amgen was because of the, I would say, the entrepreneurial spirit there and allowing people to explore um, and, and make mistakes if they needed to. Uh, and, and a learning, uh, I would say, a learning orientation that was, uh, that was really driven by the, the fellow that you, met, you mentioned beforehand, the general manager who started the, the company in Canada. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that, that entrepreneurial um, mindset and and desire to to really um, grow the the company, we can grow the companies by taking some risks. So you 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 probably saw Rob that I was uh, you know I may be a little bit different than the rest because is willing to willing to take some some risks and try different things and try different ways to to tackle problems and. I'd say that really benefited me because uh, I made, you know, I made some good bets and um, was able to accomplish a lot when I was when I was there. But what what I would say was 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 different about me than than I would say your typical mold of uh, a commercial person was the fact that I I saw the company in its entirety. So I um, I didn't only see see things through the lens of uh, Sales and marketing. But I saw things from the lens of the entire value chain, and I still do to this day. Mm -hmm. Look at um, look at a company from from many different perspectives, and and a problem from many different perspectives. And I think that 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 actually is one of those areas that I think probably helped me out. I I over I would say not over, but I invested early in my career in a lot of cross functional roles. Yes. So. I was in sales, I was in supply chain and then, you know, systems and then um, back to commercial. And I think that that investment in, in a cross-functional um, career really does benefit you in the long run. And, uh, you know, it, it, it certainly um, has for me now today where, where I am right now and, and my, my scope and my portfolio, but, you don't necessarily know it along the way. So if there's any listeners out there who, you know, are, are thinking about their career and, and wondering about, you know, where they can take it, I would, I would urge them, you know, think about, think about different areas of the company that you can, you know, you can, you can join and, and gain some really valuable experience from because it's, it's only going to benefit you in the long run. Yeah. And if you have the temperament that you have and many of our, our guests on this podcast, we've noticed a trend as we talk about it. There's a, there's a sort of voracious appetite for change and challenge that has emerged from talking to everybody so far. And man, I put you right top of that list. 
uh, Roger, from a very early part of your career, having the appetite to go back after a few years and get your MBA at Queens and continuously since then to build out the breadth of your experience as well as the depth at the same time. Like I think of if your if if your career path is could be shown in, in, in the picture of a tree, your tree is fat at the bottom and then tall. <laughs> so you yeah. you built the bottom out, like you say, by taking on a number of I wouldn't call them entry level, but lower level positions cross cross functionally and getting to know them and, and really diving in. Like you didn't just tick a box. You really went all in on these opportunities and planning and analytics and supply chain, the whole bit. And, you know, one of the things that you see now with flatter organizations in Canada is the talent that's coming into companies on this side of the border in the U.S. for that matter. They don't have the same ladder to climb as quickly as perhaps we did in some cases. Right. Uh, uh, they have to think out of the box, but if they have their eye on uh, executive leadership responsibilities down the road. They have to be careful that they don't get pulled in just to a vertical because crossing over at the business unit level or VP level or director level often requires breadth. And so it's a bit of a challenge for younger leaders entering the life science industry. Now they don't seem to have the same opportunities to build that career quickly in terms of height. <laughs> and then all of a sudden when they do get there, then they're thinking, oh my goodness, I got to compete with people who've got their, their MBAs have taken on roles in other sectors of the business structure and they can't compete. So I, I think your path, which at the time was very unusual, is probably more an opportunity now in the 2023 realm of life science than, than it ever was before. So it is a great model for other people to pay attention to. And the other thing that I think is part of your story is that you had a lot of DNA around financial and analytics and thinking out of the box, right? Your dad was a pretty well-known investor and still is, if I understand correctly, he's still at a late stage in his life and career is hard at it. He goes to the office every day. Uh, is that, is that, was that a, a key mentorship for you, Roger, growing up? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's one of the biggest influences in my life, Rob. So um, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we, we, we had talked about financial statements <laughs> from a very early age. And, and when I, I remember when I was in grade six, we were going around the class and we were being asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? And there was, you know, plenty of people who wanted to be doctors or lawyers or um, firemen. And then it came to, to Roger and I was like, I want to be a stockbroker. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was my dad, right? That was yeah. my dad. I looked up to him. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and that, and that was always part of, you know, sort of how we, we talked about things and he, he was, he was great about teaching me about uh, financial statements and, and valuations of companies, so on and so forth. But man, that guy, like he's, uh, he's 84 years old, as you said, Rob, and he goes to work every day because he loves what he does. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what. What, what really was was inspiring about him as as a, as a mentor is that he discovered i would say earlier in life what it is that that really gets him going and uh i don't think he's worked a, a day since because it's just a passion of his 
Yeah, he, he's he, he found his lane and he's um, stayed all in on it, but keeps himself current. And, you know, that I think the part that I see when you describe your dad that I see in you and it's just become more and more clear. And I, I know this for sure, because as people that I know I, that I introduce you to, you know, for some guidance or a connection, as you and I tend to do those things, they'll come back to me invariably and say, Roger, what an interesting guy, full of passion and energy and smart guy. And like, it comes across the first time people meet you, even though you're more introverted than most. But you know, I, I think it's coming across here this morning as well is that you still get excited talking about the journey you put yourself through and, you know, the, 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 the accomplishments as well as the, the occasional uh, error and, and, and opportunity to learn from it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's great that you were able to benefit from his, his mentorship and have him right there in your household to, to lean on not only at the time you were in grade school, but ever since, right, you guys have stayed in touch with each other and he's helped shape your career and give you appropriate advice at the right time. If I recall, right. Yeah, no, I, 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 I speak to my dad a few times a week, every week. And um, we, we, we talk about what's going on in our lives. But, you know, one of the things that, that I do with him is uh, I also go out every month <laughs> and we have a lunch or, or a dinner together with, uh, with my brother. And we, we stay very, very close. Um, you know, he's, he's taught me a lot along the way in terms of not only career, but, but family um, and the importance of, of family. And I think, you know, Rob, you, you know, I don't it was um, when, during one of our discussions, we talked about, the idea of uh, focusing on the you know the the first two rows of your own your own funeral, right? And 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 focus on those people who, if you were to picture and as as depressing as that might be, your your funeral who would be showing up, and look at those first two rows. You know those those should be your areas of focus, right? And he taught me uh, at an early age, you know how important it is to keep those people who are close to you super close. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I, I, I really absorbed that. And, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's also, you know, functional for somebody who is, you know, perhaps a little bit more quiet to have a smaller group of friends and, and deeper relationships, but that certainly has been something that, um, you know, I, 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 I witnessed, uh, from, from father. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because when you mention you know, 12 year old Roger saying he wanted to be a stockbroker, you know, what probably conjures up in people's minds is like a Gordon Gecko <laughs> image of the, you know, the 87 film from Wall Street. But um, what your dad gave you as an alternative vision or aspiration was to be successful in the business field, but remember why you're doing everything that you're doing. And I, I just, I really recall that that first meeting we had in your office in Amgen, I, I always have to watch how quickly I, I really like to get to know people before I start suggesting anything or, or coming up with an idea that might be helpful. But I remember when I got to know you a little bit, one of the first things you said was you really wanted to be someone with a holistic approach. And when I asked you to define and unpack that, you started talking about things like the wheel of life, the things that your dad had emphasized in your household as you were growing up and as he continued to mentor you through your career. And I think it's important that you, when you look back now, I mean, 
your dad's countenance and maybe his role model just from a behavior point of view to give you something to watch certainly seems to have borne fruit because, you know, Roger, when you look at it now, right, and the way that you get to live in Toronto and you've got a, a great family situation and a really challenging role, being able to lean in beyond Canada, you know, you pulled it off and it was great to have him guide you through that, right? Yeah, but I'm not done yet, Rob. I, well, I, know, <laughs> I know you're only maybe halfway through, but it's it's well, an impressive run. It, right? So I mean, I do. I, that was that's funny that we we, we yeah. Talk about well, especially if you live to 84 and beyond, like your pops, you you're not even halfway through. So I, I'm following in his footsteps. There's no way I'm ever going to give up. This, I love this, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think I do that at an early age, right? I I and that's why I needed to. Um, uh, to to become a, a little bit more well rounded because I'm in it I'm in this I'm in this for the long term and 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 to get there you you know it's a it's a bit of a marathon not a race you see a lot of people who over invest in their careers early and then and then burn out I didn't yeah. want to be one of those guys I wanted to keep going yeah and was there a a time in the middle there where you found your footing because you maybe you got a little off balance. And if so, what were the details around that? Yeah, I would say, um, as I as I mentioned beforehand, the you know the the world that um, I seem to be the most comfortable in is is one of um, operations and then business development. Yep. And I, I've I've been kind of taking you know stepwise approach through through both of them. But I would say the um, leaving leaving Amgen and then you know, eventually going on to, to work at UPS supply chain solutions in, in more of a consultative sales role was, was really a, a great driver for my career. Uh, so I, 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 I got into, you know, just, I would say, very holistic business development, whereas negotiating contracts and coming up with, um, with solutions and, and implementing them for, for a number of life science companies. And, and, and I loved it. I loved that approach. And um, I would say the 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 anchoring for me is is really understanding what it is that 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 you you know you you drive satisfaction from in your career. And for me, there was I drove such satisfaction out of I would say you know coming up with a with a solution that was compelling for for a, a client and then closing a deal. But, you know, you only do those so many times a year. Yeah. So, so that, that feeling that you have of, of, of great success, it's, you know, it's, it's, I would say, somewhat fleeting and less frequent. And when I, when I joined uh, my current role in Madison, you know, part of what, what I, I absolutely love about this is the idea of the fact that I get that same feeling from solving problems. Yeah, and, and I, I remember Roger. One time, you and I bumped into each other, and I think we had a Starbucks together. We were supporting this one of the like a, the same organization, but you were in your consulting business, I think, at the time, and maybe you were at UPS at the time. But I remember asking you your perspective on the client as they were developing their footprint in Canada, and I remember you downloaded so much perspective to me, like a twenty-minute coffee. I thought. How on one or two visits, because I knew that they had just started in Canada, you couldn't have had more than a couple consultations with them. How could you know so much about this company? It was just incredible. 
I think that, and I, I know that for sure, has become a hallmark of your success. You have a, an extraordinary capacity to elicit uh, vital information from your customers. They trust you so much to share their challenges. You're really good at uncovering them. And then, of course, very creative at bringing solutions back. But I think in terms of someone who can do what salespeople call a needs assessment, I'm not sure I've ever met anybody as good as that as you. Where, where did that come from? Oh, I think it's it's a matter of uh, of being perceptive and listening, Rob. So you know, it's it, it's just one of those skills that that I've I've always had. And you know, my Chris, my my partner, she would say she would ask me about a situation when we when we went out for dinner, and I would I would give her like fifty thousand details of stuff that I'd noticed. She's like, how did you notice this? <laughs> yeah, but I kind of uh, how Chris feels, <laughs> right? Because but but that's like. That that's that's who I am. I just <laughs> notice things, right? Yeah. So so I'm a, I'm a I'm a bit I'm a bit like a, like a, a quiet um, sponge observational um, sponge, if you will. Yeah. And then yeah. I think about it. I always think about it afterwards. And sometimes it's you know be one of those things that you know you think about just before you go to sleep. And you have to write down, you know, your your thoughts and your feelings about stuff. But that 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 part I think has been. You know, hugely beneficial in my career is just being able to listen and observe and understand, you, you know, what, what's happening in a, in, in, in a situation and, and then go from there to come up with, you know, what is the, what, what is the right solution that we need to put in place? What is the, what is the, you know, the, the corrective action to this, to this, this problem. And, and I think that that is, um, Again, you know, part of one of those things where you know being an introvert is it, it can be can be hugely powerful in your career. And I think you've got a couple other guys who are, you know, oh, in, yeah. your, in your group that are similar. In that, you know, we, you know, we're 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 we're, we're kind of quiet, but we but but we you know we we get stuff done, right? And we get the right stuff done. And I think the power of the introvert, particularly in that environment, when you were running your own consulting practice when you're working for UPS and FCI and the business development roles is that it would take you one meeting to get the intelligence that took your competition four or five meetings because you knew a question to ask. You connect dots very quickly. You're not afraid to ask second level questions like why and really try to understand and unpack what you were observing and what they're telling you. <laughs> I'll never forget that coffee. It was like 20 minutes and I, I took notes. Like just you were you were just sort of laying it all out. And I'm thinking, how did he, how does he know this much about this organization that we're both starting to get to know as they build their infrastructure? <laughs> it's just mind-boggling. But I think that's what explained to me why I wasn't surprised that you were as successful as you were when you shifted back over to BD with UPS and then with SCI. They really and I, you know. I, you, you connected me in. I remember in particular to SCI, I didn't know anybody there. You had made a recommendation that I connect with a couple of your colleagues. And of course, I got to know more and more people as the relationship developed. And people asked me, so how did you come to know us? I said, oh, through Roger Sharp. And then everybody had that same reaction. Oh, Roger. Yeah. Wow. Bright guy. Like just, they would just kind of all say the same thing. It was like, what an intelligent guy. And uh, really the passion came across too to people like you weren't just a smart guy but you you were all in like you did nothing by halves it was if you if you were with, if you're in a conversation with somebody you were all in on the conversation you were present 
and you were curious and it just stays with people. It was funny to have it reflect back to me, them not knowing how well I knew you and they were describing you and I'm going, yeah, that's exactly the way I would have described Roger too. It was really <laughs> cool. So, so you, you probably now look, looking back would be one of the people I would think Roger that would see the biggest contrast between your 30 year old self and yourself today because of that appetite, that energy for growth and challenge and new, new, new experiences and being thoughtful. What's the, what's the contrast you see between the Roger Sharp that is here with me this morning and Roger from, you know, in his early thirties, when we first met to you, what do you see as the evolution of yourself? That's a really, really good question, Rob. So let me let me think about how to how to answer this. I would say that the Roger that you met in my thirties was uh, was was I would say a bit unsettled. You know what I mean? Like they like I I I was I was unsure of where my career was going to take me, um, and uh, at that point in time. I didn't know what was um, what was really the you know the driving force behind my passion, and now today I do, and, and I mentioned to you it's it, it's solving problems, and I think, you know the it, it, it may have been one of your friends that 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 told me this. It was um, you know, uh, somebody who you had you had linked me into, had said if you you know you if you're if you're working for a company you 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 tend to follow in into one of three buckets you either drive revenue you either reduce expense or you solve problems and and for me you know i i i can i can dabble on the other two but but very specifically i'm i'm in the solve problems bucket mm. and i think this is what what really drove me and 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 i i can see that that is the um, the common thread that I've had throughout my career in terms of what what has has really interested me in that feeling that you have when you when you come up with a solution and you put it in place and you you just feel so satisfied. Well, the great thing about operations, Rob, is and technical operations, you 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 get lots of problems, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have more than enough opportunity to to come up with solutions. And I think that that's you know that's that's really what um, what I what I love doing, and I, I I'm I would say I'm I'm fairly tenacious, so I I don't let it go until there is something that I um, that that I'm okay with, like a solution I'm okay with. So, yeah, you know that 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 part has been really helpful for me, and I think this this is where I am now in my career, where I'm I'm very comfortable in what it is I enjoy doing. I'm I'm very comfortable in terms of what my my skills are and i'm also very comfortable in terms of you know where i'm different than than you know you know other folks and 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 the other typical mold of a leader and that's okay and i think you you know you have to understand that it it takes more than um one different type of person to make a team function quite well and i see that also amongst my own my own current team um at medicine so i think that this this uh you know that sort of restlessness that you have in your thirties has kind of subsided into a an understanding and I would say a, a peaceful feeling about what it is that that I really am 
enjoying about my career. And so that, that, you know, that I, I feel like I, I've kind of arrived. Yeah. You become, then, I would describe it as someone who became very self-aware. Right. Uh, and once you got to know Roger, <laughs> I know it sounds weird, but you got to know you, I really saw you blossom and enjoy the run instead of doing the good work you always were known for, but questioning whether you were in the right place. Like you just seem to settle in to the, 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 the swim lane and go, yep, yeah, this is me. And I'm going to have fun with it both professionally and personally. I'm going to um, almost celebrate myself would be the way I guess I would describe it. Like have fun. Uh, and even you're good at some you're someone who has a easy time having a laugh at your own expense, like, because you're comfortable in your own skin that, you know, who you are and, you know, we're all a little quirky in some regards and, you know, your analytical brilliance, uh, you know, some people might've called it maybe when you were young, a little nerdiness around the analytics and the big brain, but I just see it, what I've seen from the outside is someone who just blossomed because you, instead of worrying about well, I know I'm different, but how am I different? How's that going to play out? You you got to know where that where that had value for yourself and for others, and just had fun with it. And you're still having fun with it, as you say today. What about personally, Roger? Outside of the professional realm, what do you see as the biggest evolution of yourself outside of work? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I'm uh, I my partner Chris and I are are very tight. And she's also one of those people who is um, a huge influence in my life. So you had mentioned uh, beforehand uh, my father, but the other person who I have so much respect and admiration for is is Chris. And she's um, um, she she moved to Canada in, in uh, you know ten ten years ago, and and. Uh, she's uh she speaks english as a as a second language and she's kicking all of our butts and <laughs> i i i'm amazed man like just this uh this the strength and the tenacity of of somebody who had the you know the um the strength to to leave their their country she's from brazil and set and set up a new life in a in another in another country and she chose canada we were lucky to have her um has really opened up my my eyes uh to you know how how important it is to you know to to have this diversity right and i think that that was a, a huge um a huge influence in my life as well i mean the you know the the other thing obviously we have you know i have i have children and they're they're a little bit older so they're they're now in in university and you you probably won't surprise you rob but they're both analytical <laughs> there's a lot of dna there from your right dad. right, right. That's, that's, sure. that's a that's definitely one of those dominant genes yeah and and they're both now uh my youngest is uh is is exploring um economics and i think he wants to go into finance and then my eldest is is graduating um he'll be graduating this year and he's in commerce and he also wants to go into finance so they'll they'll, they'll certainly follow in in, in the footsteps either of me or, or, or their grandfather, but, but growing, you know, these, these children who are, who are such decent human beings has been a huge focus of my life as well. Um, and, and that, that's been, been hugely rewarding. 
Rob, and it goes back to that discussion that we had early on in, in, in my office, if you recall, when I was in my 30s and we were talking about the wheel of life. And, you know, certainly one of those, those spokes on that wheel was, was, was family, right? And I, I realized at that point in time, I have, you know, invested a ton of energy in, in my career and, and probably not enough energy here. And that was one pivot that I made early on that I think paid some huge dividends for me um, now because uh, the same relationship I have with my dad, it, my, my boys have with me, right? And I think that, yeah. that, that is so important. And I know you feel the same way, Rob. Like this is, um, this is truly the stuff that matters. Yeah, and I, I think at the time when we were first getting to know each other, um, the reason that idea of who's in the first two rows of your, uh, when your eulogy is being given, I, right. I, I had just lived that experience. I lost my brother-in-law at a very young age. He was in his early 50s. And unfortunately, like my dad, he got pancreatic cancer and lasted a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, his wife, my sister-in-law, asked me to do the eulogy, which was very flattering to me. I'd, I'd only known Doug maybe 10 years. But uh, we we really were very different from each other. Um, couldn't have been more different, but yet we connected like brothers right from the beginning. And I remember I I just given his eulogy and and then I had to go back to work and you know visiting with some clients. And then you and I were visiting, and it was really on my mind. You know what would you want people to say about you at the end, whenever your end comes? It's a powerful. It's a bit of a dark thought in a sense, but. What does Stephen Covey say? Start with the end in mind. So right, right. I remember thinking, hmm, somebody once challenged me to do that. So uh, when I finished writing and delivering Doug's eulogy, I took out a few minutes from my day and I typed in what I would hope someone would say about me at the end. And I think I still have it. I know it was up in my office in the States when I lived in the States and we moved back. I may have lost the paper, but I know it's on my laptop somewhere. But I just remember exactly what we were talking about. Like, I, I one of the 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 lines in my the, you know ideal eulogy would someone say, you know, Rob never missed a chance to throw the ball at the kids. Right. Right. And I think that that's that's powerful, Rob. Like that that's that's what's really important in life is is just that. And I think there was there was points in your career where you were wondering whether or not you were you were missing those times, right? Oh God, yeah. So you know, I think we 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 have to remember this stuff, and you know, it also you know, there's different there's different analogies here, but you know, you also always pick up the phone. You know what I mean? Somebody calls, you pick up the phone. My kids call, I, I pick up the phone. Yeah, you know, you return the email, you return the text, you try to treat people like you want to be treated because you never know when you're on that side of the equation. Like one of the things that grinds my gears as a, a resource, I hope, to people in, in our industry is, and you can imagine, I probably get a phone call at least once or twice a week now for 20 years from people who are, say, between gigs or know they're about to be laid off or there's a merger happening and there's some anxiety. Right. Or they got happy feet and they know it's time to move on. And it's almost become the norm for people who are between gigs to be treated like crap. 
like it's I have to warn people. I said, look, whether you're between gigs on your own choice or you've been pushed out of a job or whatever, and now you're looking, you got to be ready for this because you get treated inhumanely in this journey by most organizations, most recruiters. And you have to be ready for it and you have to just get past it because it'll knock you for a loop. <laughs> and you went through that and I went through that. And now lots of people I know go through that, but, it, but you know, it's just human decency. People don't return calls. They don't answer the texts. They don't reply to emails. Right. That just like you wonder, like, and I, I find that it's it's a standard that's slipping, too, in society. It's not just third-party business transactions that people don't follow up like they promised to, but it's even uh, people who should know better at the family or friend level. It's like, okay, you know, I'm kind of waiting for you to get back to me on this. <laughs> My wife, Christine, says, do I have to shake this tree, too? Like, come on, people. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, I, I would say it was for me that that experience was more geared to when I was in business development. And I remember you and I talking about this, that, you know, there was a certain amount of like, just people just wouldn't respond. And I think that was, that was interesting for me. And as a result, uh, I now pick up the phone, whoever calls, I pick up the phone, right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm, I'm, I, I feel, I feel stupid for doing so. But you know, the point is that somebody's making a, a, an effort to to reach out to you. You know, you should you, you should take the time to, um, you know, to to respond, right? So, and, and I, and as I said beforehand, you know, you you know, you've always been there, Rob. Like you're you're there for um, for people who you know you've you've coached along the way, and and like, you know, for for you and I, when there's been times in in, in my life where I needed. You know, I needed some some of your time and some of your 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 perspective. You've always been there, and I think that's you know that that that's in your DNA, right? That that's that's you, and that's maybe, maybe that's that's another thrive um, podcast that we do. We turn the mic around and, and start unpacking you, but you know that you, you'll you'll notice there's a bunch of guys on or 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 people on these these thrive podcasts who you've known for many years, and there's a reason for that. Right, because you're genuine, um, and you listen, and you care, and you know, as as I think about the influences that I've had in my life, you're also one of them, right? And I I think, I I think I I, I got a lot out of our our coaching sessions to the point where you know we developed a, a a really close friendship, but this is you know this is something that is unfortunately quite rare, you know, and you and 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 how much you you care about people is 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 very genuine and what you know what i derive as as i move along the curve in my business and think but just our relationship is one example rogers that we get a chance to walk together like i have gotten so much more out of our relationship than you can imagine like i for one thing learned how to fly fish thanks to uh -huh. you. yeah <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you know, I also remember you taking a, a couple of dunks in the river. Oh as yeah, well. oh yeah, absolutely. Where where is Rob? Well, he's floating <laughs> down the river as his boots are filled with water. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it's one way to catch a fish: take it out of your boot. It is, but yeah. it was it's, it's a it's an opportunity to um to sit out on the river and 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 really, you know, let let those let those those day to day troubles kind of pass by you and. And go into almost a meditative state. Oh, for sure. Right. As you um as you think about the task at hand, it's very therapeutic. 
And, and I was and having also, a good laugh with someone who knew you way back uh, from your Lily days. And I said, you know, if I recall correctly, Roger said that one of the things when he was in the field that he tried to take advantage of having that central Ontario uh, geography with all those great lakes and rivers was he got into fly fishing. And I think as a, you know, cause it's tough. That's a tough life to be out banging away and driving all over the place and trying right. to get time with physicians and you know, the hours you put in and your release was just to throw the fly fishing gear in the back of the car and either between calls or at the end of the day, find yourself standing in your hip waders and casting right. your line. That must've been just terrific. Well, it was, uh, it, it, you know, it's one of those situations where, you know, once you've, you've completed your day's work and you're, you're on your way home and you're in beautiful cottage country, why not take advantage of the fact that, you know, you're, you've got some beautiful rivers there. And I think about what that, that has given to me in terms of, um, also, it's funny because it ended up being a point of business development with, with some of my, my physicians uh, in the north part of the region. I teach them how to fly fish and, and, and tie flies. And, <laughs> and you, they, you they were a so thankful hours about that. Yeah, yeah, they're so thankful about that. And, oh, yeah. you, you know, that's, that's, that's one of those things that I introduced you to as well, Rob. And I'm, I'm glad that you're, you know, you've, you've taken that one on too. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those pursuits that... Um, I find hits on a, a couple of different spokes on that wheel of life. And, and, you know, we, you know, it's uh it's also a keystone habit because it, it causes you to, to connect with, with folks like you and you, you develop that, that community. Um, and then also, you know, you're doing something that's, that's super good for your, your mental well-being and your physical state. So, you know, I'm not much of a golfer, Rob, but I am, I, I'm a hell of a fly fisher. You're a hell of a fly fisher. I remember you <laughs> show me even just a couple little creeks. We're standing around Mark. I'm going, why are we here? And you're ducking down this little embankment, getting into a creek and pulling that little brown trout and thinking, man, he's really good at this. <laughs> in, a, in an urban setting, he's fishing. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's oh, it great. So listen, as, uh, as I've done with every guest at the end of our conversation, an open topic. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to spend a few minutes on? Let me just see here. Um, no, I think we, we, we covered it. So, you know, the, we, we talked about the biggest influencers in my life and I mentioned my father, uh, my partner, Chris, and then also you, Rob. Um, we've talked about, you know, the, I would say the unique, um, I would say breadth that I had in my career that, that, that kind of helped me out in the, in the long run and how that's, you know, that, that's something that, you know, perhaps some of the, the listeners who are early in their career can, can, can look into. And I'm happy to, you know, to talk to anybody who is, who is interested in what, what a cross-functional career and life sciences might look like. Right. Um, and then the one thing that we didn't talk about was if there was any funny points in my career. Okay. What's the funniest thing that happened that you can share on a podcast? Right. Right. So um, I don't know if you knew this, Rob, but I took a year off between uh, high school and university. And I worked in a, in a, in an, what, I was, what I'll say is, you know, an advanced uh, cancer clinic where a lot of clinical trials were, were being done. And that was what really was one of the motivations for me to get into life sciences. So I, I took a year off there and I was, I was what I would call a jack of all trades in the clinic. So I, you know, I helped out in, in, in the lab, I helped out when, when needed in other areas, but I also at times would, would run switchboard. 
so that meant meant that I was uh, I was taking the the calls, and at that point um, there was uh, one of the archbishops from New York City was being treated in our in our clinic, and um, the nurses had asked the 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 archbishop, hey, does you know his has has the pope ever called you? And he said, yes. In fact, he called us. He called me yesterday here because I was organizing one of his trips. And I realized, Rob, I was the one who was manning the phones. <laughs> so I don't know if there's very many people in this world that can say they put the Pope on hold, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely. That's lovely. <laughs> well, we have... We'll have to end on that note. That's one of the best stories. So <laughs> thanks for that, Roger. No, I didn't know that story. Uh, well, there you I, go. I would remember, remember it because when I was like 15 and the Polish Pope got elected, my Polish mother took down my Farrah Fawcett posters and up went Pope John Paul VI or whatever the heck he was. <laughs> Paul II. <laughs> Mom, <laughs> that's it. The house was a shrine. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. I'm just I'm just glad I didn't I didn't I didn't automatically cut him off by accident because I'm pretty sure I did that to a few people as well. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. Well, Roger, thanks for your time this morning. That was a lot of fun. And uh, agreed. Looking forward to catching up with you soon. But appreciate your time, and uh, I'm sure our listeners will enjoy a lot of your stories. <laughs> thanks, Rob. Take care, man. Take care. Bye.